Welcome to In The Know, the Bourbon Street Shots Podcast. We're your hosts, Shemit Duop and Mason Ginsberg, and this is all Pelicans all the time. joining in as this room starts getting populated we'll start bringing people over there is a lot of news to unpack starting from yesterday obviously Dan was let go today we had a little bit of Zion news I think which was a bombshell to some with regards to his family with how Zion's family has already started telling people that they do not want him in New Orleans which is obviously concerning, right? You don't want to hear that with your star player ever, Um, and especially with a franchise that's gone through the loss of several franchise players with Chris Paul and and Anthony Davis, and Anthony Davis's family had um, felt a certain way about certain things, and they pulled some strings, and obviously we know you know, his dad went on television, or I think he sent a quote to Ramona Shelburne, on ESPN when the whole trade drama was going on about how he'll never, ever going to go to Boston and basically killed that trade talk. Um, and so the family stuff is tricky. Uh, it's, it's, it's difficult to sort out. I think a lot of people uh, are shocked by it, but the reality of the situation is that it's something that People around the league, not just with the Pelicans, have known for a very long time that this family is, um, I want to be very nice here, uh, that they feel very passionate about Zion and his future and how they believe that Zion is on path to greatness and he's going to be one of the greatest players of all time. And they think that if you are not facilitating things to help him achieve that goal, then you're getting you're getting in their way. And if you're getting in their way, well, they are well aware of how unique of a situation Zion is in with regards to the power he can wield over a franchise. You know, only a dozen or so players can try to exercise that kind of power across the league. And and they, they are aware of that and they know how to use it and they've they've used it to to get some changes made before and they're going to try to use it to get some changes made in the future. Um, I think the biggest takeaway here that people, I guess, need to focus on is that it's not about New Orleans, the city. It's not about the Pelicans as a team. It's about how they think, you know, what, what is Zion's best path towards winning and success? And frankly, they haven't been wrong yet in the sense that the Pelicans have not put together a competitive team around Zion in the first two years, period. And so if they weren't frustrated, you know, that'd be a little bit more concerning. If Zion wasn't frustrated, that'd be pretty concerning. And so this falls squarely on the front office in terms of putting a team together. That's good. I don't think it's reasonable for people to expect uh, a title contender out the gate immediately. Right. Like no one, like when's the last time someone's put a title team together um, around a 20-year-old, where the 20-year-old has been the best player. I mean, I think if those are the expectations of any people around Zion or Zion himself, then those are unreasonable expectations that can't be met at all in, in any sense anyway. And so you, you don't have to try to deal with that. You just got to keep on keeping on and, and sticking to your organizational philosophy. But I don't think, you know, the, I don't think those are the expectations, right? I don't think it's that level of of unreasonable. It's just like, guys, we haven't made the play in yet. So if you haven't made the play in, um, things got to change. And so there, there's a, there's a pretty big gap between not making the play in and, and being a championship level team. And, and I think Zion and his family would like them to at least be in the playoffs. Um, I want to start getting people in here 
uh, who have questions so we can open up the topics a little more. So feel free to start raising your hand um, if you want to start talking. I don't see any uh, chat requests yet, but uh, oh, here we go. What's up, Bradley? What's up, my man? Um, I'm just more interested. You know, Griff goes on to that into that interview yesterday and talks a whole bunch of nothing. Then this happens today. I just feel like there should be a level of defensiveness to protect this fan base from the vultures on the internet, uh, on Twitter, because it is just a lot of bad press. And when you have a lot of bad press, it leads to negative reputation. Uh, I just feel like the team should be out in front of this. Any thoughts to that? So my question to you would be, what would you say uh, publicly? And what would, how would you approach it? And how would you do it without lying? Interesting. <laughs> I mean, you could start with the bullshit relocation article for starters and just talk about facts there, right? Um, and then Griff could just be more transparent why he did what he had to do. Say, hey, I, I screwed up. You know, we need to go in the best direction possible. Um, here's the plan. Yeah, I hear you. I think I have a couple of thoughts on that. I think Griff is at a point where I don't think it matters what he says. I think he just needs to start producing results and people, people aren't really, you know, people don't really care for the words anymore. You know, you could say whatever you want. You could say all the right things. It doesn't matter unless you start producing. I think with regards to addressing, you know, like the bullshit that's out there, um, one, I think, you know, you open yourself up to mockery, uh, like kind of like Mark Cuban has, has done if, if things turn out to be untrue. But I think that responsibility needs to fall more on local media and media in general. I think we need to be better. Um, one, with regards to addressing those things and upping our coverage to make sure people are, are well informed, but also shooting those things down when our peers, especially, you know, like if, if I work for a big national organization and they report something that's just wrong such as the relocation stuff then then i need to you know be able to speak on that and and call that out i think what happens is a lot of these national organizations rely on local media for their content and they rely on local journalism to feed feed that content and you know when everyone complains about national media it is a little bit of a reflection of the local stuff just a little bit i mean i can't i'm not saying that you know, like we're, we're all the ones that are, are, are turning the jump into this propaganda machine, right? Like, you know, like I, I, I'm not trying to put that on our feet here, but I think what ends up happening is that there also needs to be a level of accountability within media. And what it's become is there's now a market for, you know, um, drama. It's just everyone wants to consume drama 24-7. And so you have all of these amazing basketball series going on right now. And what's dominated the headlines is the Pelican stuff, the the Mavericks stuff. Um, you know, Scott Brooks was ousted in, in Washington, and that's not really, a, you know, a top three story. Nikola Jokic doesn't want to play in the Olympics. That's not really a story. You have all this drama surrounding these star players. And I think I think the model needs to change, and I think it can change if people start producing the content that they want to see. And so what you need is better content creators out there. Unfortunately, it's a money game, right? And so, like, people don't necessarily have the time and resources to produce that content. And a lot of in a lot of places, that content doesn't pay. It's the clicks, the, the advertisement revenue that that's going to get it done or the number of subscribers that you have to your a podcast or subscription service or whatever it is, that's what's going to tip the scales and, you know, like what's the easiest way to get that kind of engagement. It's like, well, let's, let's feed up, feed the drama. Um, so yeah, I don't know if there's a good approach and to win the PR war outside of winning. The winning is the best way to, to cure all of the noise. I mean, you, you look at the Suns this year, you look at the Knicks, those, are historically ridiculed franchises and they're winning. So people don't talk about them. What's up, Max? Yo. Uh, so going into this year, also just to start, uh, I feel like if anything, this is a good thing. 
I've been wanting to Griff to take the mindset of, you know, look at the Hawks, look at the Suns, maybe consider winning some games. But um, I was wondering your thoughts on like maybe as a fan, what level of success should we think the team is shooting for? Because obviously there's a difference between being a 10 seed, 8 seed, 6 seed, and 4 seed. Like I imagine, you know, the truth is going to end up hopefully somewhere around 6 seed. But like do we know is the front office just hoping to do the minimum? Or are they going to just give the front office BS of, well, if the right players are available, you know, we'll see what we can do, I guess. Is there a sense of like maybe what Zion's camp expects this next year versus what our front office is aiming for? Yeah, I, I'm still of the mindset that, like, you, you, it shouldn't be acceptable that you have to cater everything towards a 20-year-old and in, in any organization. I, I'm still of that mindset. I understand how good of a player Zion is. I understand what the NBA is like these days and where, you know, it's it's a player's league and players dictate everything. I'm still of the mindset you got to bend over backwards and and do everything you can to please twenty year olds who even if you do that may leave you anyway. Um, but with regards to how aggressive the Pelicans are going to be to improve the team, I think there's a level of urgency from top to bottom, from ownership down, um, that that permeates the organization. And I don't think they're going to do just the bare minimum. I think they're going to be considerably aggressive in moving those Lakers picks, those Bucks picks. Uh, those future assets, maybe even the 10th pick, depending on what happens with the lotto and, and what's going on in the draft, to bring in these players um, who are going to make an impact. You know, they're watching the playoffs just just like us. And they're, you know, they're seeing the ridiculous shot making that's that's going on. And, you know, Griff even said in his presser, like, yeah, we need shooting. Um, so I expect the roster to look pretty different coming uh, coming next year. And I expect them to try to be legitimately one of the better teams in the West and not settle for making a playing appearance. Yeah. Also just one more thing and I'll hop off. Um, I agree. You know, you shouldn't have to or want to necessarily make every single decision under the like mindset of, Oh, we have to appease a 20 year old, but like, I can't imagine there's a basketball there. It's a good basketball move to have just basically punted a year of BI's max like I just feel like no matter who's talking, this year was an absolute failure. Like, you're, you're correct. Uh, uh, I don't know if that was intentional, right? I like I don't think anyone intended for the stand stuff to blow up in the way that it did. I don't think anyone intended to lose 14 games in the last five minutes and blow 14 double digit leads. You know, I, I don't think anyone intended for for Eric Bledsoe to just be a terrible basketball player for the majority of the year. So I, I think you're absolutely right. Um, I think, you know, in a, if you run this year back a hundred times, you know, probably in 60 of those years, you're, you're going to have a result where the Pelicans make the playoffs, right. With, with their, with their health holding up and everything else kind of falling in place. Um, and then, you know, in 40 of those years, they probably don't. And then, you know, like five of those years, it's catastrophic failure. So, you know, I, I think you're right. Um, that that it was a waste of a year and it should be seen as a failure. That is true. Um, I'm not sure that's the intent, but frankly, you're right. The intent doesn't matter going forward. The intent going forward and the actions going forward need to be let's let's win as much as we can. Um, I'm now, gonna. Yep, I'll no, go for it. Okay. Um, yeah, I will say though, I somewhat disagree with you because I think Griff, to an extent, tried to have his cake and eat it too. Like, we went into last offseason. Sure, I'm not going to say, oh, don't trade Drew. Like, I get we had to trade Drew. But the trade we made ultimately still, the goal was to accumulate assets. So to some degree, Griffin thought he could get away with accumulating assets and being competitive. And I just don't think that's realistic in the West. So I, that's the fault I've had all year with him is it kind of felt like he was almost, I don't want to say full of himself, but it felt full of himself to try and get both done. Yeah, I mean, look, like I, I think you're, it's valid to have that viewpoint. I don't necessarily agree with it. I think having those assets is going to make us a better team down the road than than whatever happened this past year. Um, I also don't think, you know, I also think if they do their job appropriately and correctly, that people aren't really going to look back to this year all that much anyway. Uh, but I, I definitely understand the concern with 
you know, okay, maybe they could have brought in some players that are more ready to go now. But again, like if, if you did that and it didn't work out, then you're worse for wear going forward. In my opinion, you don't have those assets that you can bank on going forward. So I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of hindsight that we can use to evaluate this, but I definitely respect your, your viewpoint. I'm going to get Jonathan up in here. What's up, Jonathan? What's up? Uh, I want to ask you, what do you think we're going to do with Lonzo Ball? And um, my other question was, like, what do you think a trade for, like, C.J. McCollum would look like? Like, what would we have to give up to get a guy like him? That's a great question. The Lonzo stuff is is interesting, right? So, like, in the in the article with Zion stuff that was released today, they spent a good amount of time talking about the, the bond that Lonzo has developed with not only Zion, but also, you know, he's had one with B.I. since he's been with the Lakers. And and both of those guys, you know, publicly have said, hey, we want him back, right? I do think that puts the Pelicans in a little bit of a delicate situation where they do have to to consider that. But I I just have, like, a larger overall question where, like, again, why why has it become accepted in the NBA that – a 20 year old can ask for his friends to be on the team and you just got to comply to that. Like this, I feel like this should be a bigger story. I feel like, like people should be. Yeah. We, go for it. we have to overpay him. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't want to overpay him. Like I, he's just not consistent enough. Like, like you and Mason said, he only had that good month of February. Right. And so I think what, what Lonzo does is he presents challenges from a team building perspective in multiple ways. One, you're going to need high level creators around him. Um, if you look at the playoffs, you look at guys like Trey Young and, and Donovan Mitchell and what Jason Tatum was doing. Um, and then you look at the guys that can't operate in the half court, which is what Lonzo does. He can't really operate in the half court. They even just strictly catch and shoot guys who teams can run off the line, they become so limited. So what, what you need is someone who does all the stuff Lonzo doesn't next to him. But that becomes harder to get if you're paying him, you know, $22 million a year. So I think it's a delicate situation. I can definitely see a world where, you know, they the Pelicans make all these aggressive trades. They bring in all these different players. And then the last move they do is they pay Lonzo and they go into the tax again to show Zion, like, hey, look, we're, we're serious about winning. We're, you know, we're spending all this money. We brought back your boy, and we did all these trades. I can see that world. Um, I I just think it needs to be a bigger story that a 20-year-old is able to throw his weight around and, and demand for these changes. And the reason he's able to do it is, you know, there's probably – there's there's a, one of the 30 teams out there is if you're not going to do it, they're going to do it because they're happy to have Zion on their team. And they might not end up winning a lot, you know, going forward. They might not end up being a good team, but whatever. You know, it's like they'll they'll take a chance on that. And so that's why he's able to do it. It's just I don't like the way this situation is covered, um, at, at, you know, just across the board, even with Luca, right? So Rick Carlisle is gone. Don Nelson is gone. Those guys are championship level people, and they didn't get with Luca, and that's fine. Um, it's fine that the organization decided to move on from them, and they're, they'll replace them with whoever Luca likes. But it's it's kind of crazy that you know twenty one year olds are able to to do this stuff. It's it's a weird space for the league to be in. What's up? What's up, Steven? Oh man, what's happening, bro? Man, look, my my whole thing about this is we did. Nobody needed that athletic uh, piece that dropped today to tell Pelicans fans that this year coming up was going to be the most important one in our franchise's history. You know, I don't know when they did the article. I mean, I've heard that it was done in May and they were just holding off on it till, well, now, actually, after. (laughs) You know, I mean, was that planned, like, after – that move made they were gonna drop this bombshell, which we run the bombshell. It was like I say, it was common knowledge that we had to improve the roster. Well, you know? I, I think that's really interesting, right? So I can't speak for for the athletic, right? I don't I don't work for them. I don't know how they they operate, but here's what I do know: I do know that the stuff they reported has been 
relatively common knowledge within the media for a very, very long time, even before the year started, um, just about Zion and Zion's family. And it's not just within the media, it's like league-wide, like people across the league know the situation with his family. And I think that should kind of tell you everything about like how notorious the the family is a little bit um, without me trying to get into too many details, but everyone's kind of known this. No one's really spoke about it. And you know, I tweeted earlier um, when this stuff was coming out that it's like, frankly, a miracle. It took two years for this to get out. And because again, this is, this is like, explosive stuff right if if you tweet that oh the stars family doesn't want him to be wherever blah 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 then everyone's gonna go crazy you're gonna get all these clicks and you know like espn's gonna talk about it and all these talk shows are gonna talk about it it's gonna happen but er people kind of held on to this knowledge for for a very long time and everyone i guess was waiting to see like what's gonna happen uh in my opinion you know people held on to this knowledge because there wasn't a good time to unload it because again if you come out with this stuff all, all that needs to happen is Zion goes on camera and he says, this is bullshit. It's not true. Then you look like an idiot, right? If Zion, if it comes out of Zion's mouth, you look like an idiot. And so I think they probably felt like this was the best time to come forth with some of this stuff because Stan was fired. And, you know, when people are fired, there's a lot of ugly stuff. They're like, okay, well, let's just slip this in here as well uh, because clearly things are wrong over there. And and so maybe that's why they decided. But it, you're right. It's not something that's news to the Pelicans organization. It's not news to a lot of people around the league. And and no one needs to really be told that how important this this coming season is for them. You're right. You're absolutely right about that. Exactly, man. And, you know, there was fire coming from Duke with that right. family, was, uh, you know. About I mean, not. look, he's been he's been involved in how many lawsuits now, right? And, exactly. and you know, it's not Zion that's the one that's that's responsible right. for all that stuff. Um, right. So that's going right. to be in, interesting to watch. Someone else requested a talk. I think the request disappeared. Um, feel, guys, feel free to keep raising your hand. If not, me and Steven will keep chopping it up. Um, I, well, I got one. I got one more thing to say about um, the the quote the roster construction. Whoever they bring in, they still the I two stars still would have to buy in and actually, you know, play defense. You know? I don't yeah. care if they bring in if they bring in Damian Lillard, they can bring in I don't know, Zach Levine, just throwing it out there. I'm not I know he ain't going nowhere, but whoever they bring in, eventually, even in these playoffs, you saw the Brooklyn Nets who look like they've never played defense in their life, hold <laughs> the Bucks to 86 points. The right. whole Brooklyn, if they want to play defense, they will play. You're, you're absolutely right. And the you thing know? is, like, if you're trying to be a superstar and you're trying to flex all of the power that comes with being a superstar, right, you know, getting coaches fired or, you know, getting players signed, whatever it is, then you need to be held to the standard of a superstar as well, right? You need to come ready to play defense. You need to be locked in on the game plan. You better show up in shape. And and so if that is the path you want to go down, that's how the coverage around him and any player trying to do this needs to be. Like it, it doesn't need to be the situation where I think a lot of a lot of times in small markets when you have a superstar in small markets media and people around him kind of walk around eggshells um, around around the superstar because it's like, oh, well, you know, we got this talent. We're so lucky to have him. Can't lose him. Can't risk upsetting him. It's fine. Right. And and so, you know, you have a situation like in Indiana and Paul with Paul George. It was never Paul George's fault there. It was, it was Indiana's fault. And then Paul George got to L.A. All of a sudden, he's pandemic P. He's playoff P. He can't get it done, right? Um, right. Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was Teflon in New Orleans, Right. And yep. and now in L.A., you know, he's getting packed up like it's 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 a very predictable thing. Likewise, in in Portland, you know, Dame has been a pillar of their franchise. He hasn't been enough to get it done. And he's and I get it. Right. Because these guys are superstar players. It's like, what more do you want from them? What it should be on the organization. It's And, and it's true. But if you are going to start flexing those muscles at 20, at 21, like Luca and Zion are doing, then you got to be held to the same standard as those other guys, in my opinion. And, and I'm, I don't want to absolve the franchise of blame. I think 
David Griffin and, and, and the organization have completely fumbled, completely fumbled what was probably like the most asset-rich situation for a superstar draft uh, pick. They've completely fumbled the first two years. Um, and, and, and they need, you know, that, that needs to be reconciled. I don't want to, I don't want to, you know, take away blame from that. But if, if, if you want to act like you're, you're the king, then you, you got to have the stuff that comes with it as well. Man, look, we, they fumbled the first two years, but at least they have time to save the shit. It's the fourth exactly. quarter. It's the fourth quarter for them. And my last thing before I let, you know, before I hop off, man, I hop, I, I hop on Twitter. It's like certain people, certain Twitter people are like taking victory laps over what they've been saying about David Griffin for uh the whole season. And I and I and I don't mind certain people that, you know, at least they've been consistent with this shit. <laughs> I mean the dude the dude I'm talking about, he cool. He's cool. He's a, he a cool guy. He knows his he knows his ball. I mean, sometimes he does overboard with the uh, the Ingram stuff, but overall he knows his stuff. But he's like he's taking a victory lap, if you know what I'm talking about. Look, I I think that all of this noise is gonna grow louder until they start winning, and yep. and so it's up to them to change the narrative. It's up to them to change the conversation, and the and the best way to do that is is to win. And if they don't, then there's nothing you can do about it. You know, the people will say what, like, you know, with Dell, with Dell Dems, he gets criticized at, a, at an amazingly high level everywhere he goes. Uh, and that's fine because he wasn't able to pull off many winning seasons here and didn't win at a high level with, with the Pelicans. And so there's nothing you can really do about that. You can have the best strategy in the world. And if it doesn't work, you lost. And, and unfortunately, that's the nature of this business. Yeah. Yes, sir. But thank you for uh for running with me, man. I appreciate it. I'm gonna stay yeah, along with y'all. Listen, appreciate you, Stephen. Thanks for thanks for hopping in. Uh, what's up, Drew? You waiting a little bit? Hey, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks so much for your good work on this stuff. It, it sounds like you've been talking to people within the organization too. Uh, one 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 little point I want to make, and then I got a question about the the coaching search process. One little point I want to make. I've actually felt really encouraged about the development of the young guys. I thought the way that Nikhil pro- progressed this season, Kyra started off good, maybe tailed off towards the end, and then especially Jackson. And if SG, SVG had to play a role in that, that's at least you know a small spark that we can be encouraged by. But I actually feel like if you take Bledsoe out of the equation – this year was everything I would have hoped or expected it would be, but just Bledsoe mattered by probably four, five, six wins on his own. Um, but the the question I have about the coaching search, it seems like everyone is hearing so much buzz on Charles Lee. And, I, you know, I've kind of looked into him, but I'm curious, like, what have you heard? What it, how, how strong exactly is the interest in him compared to other people? And then... Uh, it sounds like they're pretty determined to have a lot of the old coaching staff on, whether it's Vincent or Teaspoon. And do you think that's going to turn off some people since they don't get to completely pick their own staff? Uh, great questions. So I, to speak on your first point a little bit, I think the development of the young players gets unnoticed uh, and overlooked with all the drama that people like to talk about. And and they do remain reasons to be optimistic about the team. And you're right. I think, I think Nikhil, and Jackson are going to be contributors next year uh, in contributors towards winning, not just guys that are like out there to, to grow. They're going to keep growing, but I think they're legit going to produce. Um, but with regards to the coaching search and Charles Lee, the reason people you are kind of saying Charles Lee a lot, well, he was really close to getting the job last year. Uh, I've talked to a couple people and he was amongst one of the finalists. Um, he, he, he is, I'm trying to describe him. Um, what people have told me is that this guy can be successful at anything. So if you want to bring him in and you want to put him in the front office, that guy's going to kill at his job. If you want to bring him in and you want to make him the public uh, facing entity and he talks to corporate sponsors, he's going to kill at that job. If you want to bring him in and you want him to be the coach and you want him to, to relate to the players as well as, you know, be on a good page with management, He's going to kill at that job. He's young. He's forward thinking. 
Um, he's analytically sound and, and he's really, really good with people, which is clearly what we're noticing, uh, to be an important trait when it comes to, to coaching. And so people are really high on him that for that reason. He, he comes from a, a playing background. You know, he played at Bucknell. He played in Europe for a little bit and he's been with the Hawks and the Bucks for, I think, the last, I don't know, eight years or so. Um, but, you know, really bright up and coming guy. And I think would, I think would, be a, a hit in the locker here. I think the players would, mm-hmm. would would rally behind him. But, you know, with I don't know if the Pelicans have a specific timeline. Um, really, like, I think what they're focused on right now is they're going to the Combine next week. They're going to be in Chicago. They're going to be interviewing and working out and observing draft prospects there. Lottery is going to happen. Um, that's going to be hopefully a, a lucky event for the Pelicans. And, and honestly, that might change, you know, what kind of coach you're able to get, right? If you're, if you're getting the number one pick or – you jump into the lottery and then, you know, there's some other like star coach that becomes available because frankly, I don't think the firings are done. I don't think they are. Mm. I, I think, I think Bud's probably next and I don't know if he's the only one that's next. Um, but, you know, so I think what they're going to do is they're going to wait and see how, how the playoff landscape shakes out a little bit and then, and then circle in on their favorites and, and progress from there. Now on to Sleeper. Sleeper is the fastest growing fantasy platform today with millions of players. You probably already have a fantasy league on there. I use it for mine. It's a game changing product unlike anything else in the industry. And now you can make money on Sleeper too by playing their new over under game. It's super simple. First, in any sport, choose two or more players that you like and pick the over or under. For example, number of points in basketball or hits in baseball. Then choose the amount of money you want to enter into the contest. If you pick correctly, you can win anywhere from two times to over 20 times the money you put in. The main reason I'm excited about over under on sleeper. It's the only app where I can join my buddy's contest and play together. It's got a built-in group chat where I can see and copy my friend's picks with the tap of a button. It's insanely fun to ride it out together. Stop what you're doing and download sleeper now to play their new over under game and have fun with your friends. And most importantly, make some money. Make sure you use that promo code blue wire and sleeper will match your deposit up to $100. Again, download sleeper, then use promo code blue wire. When you deposit terms and conditions apply, see sleepers terms of use for details. Do you, do you think them wanting to hold on to so many of the current assistant coaches is going to limit them into, in terms of who they can recruit? I I don't think so. I think, um, I think with the vast majority of teams, when they hire a new coach, very rarely does that coach get to hire his entire staff top to bottom. I think he'll, they'll be able to hire their lead guys. Um, and, you know, so a player development guys will be allowed to bring in a lot of people, but the GM and the organization, if they have really good coaches that they want to keep on board, they, they, they retain them. And so I don't, I don't think that's going to be an issue. Yeah. Not with Fred and, and, and Teresa, who everyone universally respects and especially the players. I think that coaches coming in are going to understand that as well. Yeah, that makes sense. What's for you personally, what's your level of confidence in, in Griffin right now? Cause he came with such a huge reputation that I didn't completely understand. You know, obviously he made some good moves with the Cavs and he has all the experience with the Suns. Uh, and I don't, you know, the Adams thing never made sense, but I also felt like it was over criticized to, to some degree, but like, what's, what's your level of confidence in him being able to pull this off? That's a really good question. Um, I guess I've never really sat down and thought about my level of confidence in, in someone's ability to build this off. Um, but I, I look at the assets that he has available. Um, I look at the fact that he hasn't gone full bore in trying to build this, this winter. Um, and I look at the fact that he has dealt with a, a situation in Cleveland where LeBron was on one-year contracts and he needed to overhaul the team year after year to, to basically stay at, at finals level. Um, so I, I, I look at those things and I look at the limited resources and assets that he had to work with in, in Cleveland and the, the absolute treasure trove that he has now and think that if he applies that same level of aggression that he did when LeBron was there, um, he's going to be able to make some pretty big moves, right? He, his biggest moves so far have been selling moves. He's, he's, sold high on Anthony Davis and he sold high on, on Drew Holiday, he hasn't made any enormous buy moves. Like the biggest buy move he's made is, is, is Steven Adams, which is whatever. Like that's not really a huge 
purchase when it comes to, to asset expenditure. I mean, it, it no, I mean, no one likes that move. That's a separate thing. But it's not a, a oh my god, that's a blockbuster. Um, and so when he if if his focus is is on okay, oh my gosh, we we got a building and contend, and he uses the assets at his disposal. Given the history, I you know I, I I expect him to be competent enough to make those changes. But you know we'll see we'll see if he's successful or not. But yeah. I, I I believe in his aggression that he displayed in Cleveland. Cool man, thanks for the time. Yeah man, uh, thanks for thanks for hopping on. Uh, what's up, Ryan? Hey man, you can hear me? Yeah man, uh, tell me tell me about who you want to fight today. Oh everybody. <laughs> uh, yeah, speaking on the Griffin thing, like we've seen Zion play ninety games, right? Something like that. Yep. Twenty four games, rookie year, full season this year. We have, but this, we have, but this, like it's it's buying time now, and it's 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 been like the the takes have been ridiculous, but also like nobody's happy with the state of the Pelicans. And then he overcorrected from Gentry to Stan, and I'm just like, and the rest of the roster really felt they were soft tried to get hard nose and it just backfires. Like we've had a lot of backfirings lately. So it's judgment time now. That's all I'm saying. You know, I, I think what people and want the media to do is to throw everyone under a bus, you know, start playing the blame game, call for people's heads. And I, I get it. You know, I think there's a level of, of there's a lot of blame to go, go around. For me, that's never been a productive use of time you know i i am never even when like things are like like when with the dell situation like i knew his time was up and i knew that it was time to make a change especially when anthony davis requested a trade but i it's not in my style to create the type of content that's going to be like fire dell like or fire whoever like that's just it's like okay you you have other people who can who can make those takes what i want to do is i like to evaluate the decision making process and you're right. When you evaluate the decision-making process, they absolutely fucking whiffed on every single, every single move they did this past offseason. Essentially, I mean, if you think about it, right? Like hiring Stan, bringing in Bledsoe, bringing in Adams. Um, trying Even to think what else. What's up? Keeping JJ could have cut him in the offseason, which sounds ridiculous, but like hindsight's. Right, right. So they, they whiffed, right? And so from a decision-making process, what can we learn? And, and are they going to be able to learn from it? Um, he says, you know, in his press conferences, if you can parse through all of the, the word salad there, you know, he says that, that you know, like they, he said some things like, like, I want to bring in shooting. We got to bring in IQ. We got to do all these things. So it's, that's an acknowledgement, right? He admitted a mistake a couple times, um, a few times, right? Okay, so let's see what he's going to do next. And that's why I keep saying it's going to be a pivotal offseason is the honeymoon period's over. And if the lessons learned from the mistakes in the past aren't being correct or being implemented, then I'm not entirely sure how long he is here um, as the head of basketball operations. But, you know, I think moving on from Stan – is indication that okay that there is there's ability and resources to move on from mistakes that are, that were costly to to begin with. This is the first time we've really seen any of our ownership eat that much salary for a coach. I think. Yeah, anyone who's calling Benson cheap has yeah, is, uh, is, they have no idea. <laughs> they're off base. The Tom, back- I keep telling people, Tom Benson is a completely different entity than Gail Benson. They're completely different people, completely different owners, and completely different with their regards of uh, with, with regards to their investment in the Pelicans. They're just completely different people. Yeah, totally agree. I got one more thing about what you're saying about the evaluation process. And uh, back to Zion's family is, I, I, you know, some of our bloggers and writers have known about that since he got here, and they have been panic tweeting and typing without letting anyone know why they're so panicked and now they're they're dunking on those people it's like it's exhausting <laughs> that's all i gotta say wait who's dunking on who just like the people that have been panic tweeting because they've known about zion stepdad or family. oh yeah 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 you know it's whatever people people can react in however way that people are hurt right people are hurt by the history of 
stars leaving this franchise. People are hurt by this team. You know, teams never really being good. And people in New Orleans in particular um, are really protective of the city. And, you know, when people start talking about, I don't want to be in New Orleans and all this kind of stuff, it, I think it cuts deep. Yeah, we're um, all talked all the time for 20 years of this. <laughs> right. So I, I get it. I don't, I don't, I don't blame anyone that uh, feels anxiety or high levels of anxiety when given these situations. Yeah, man. Well, I'll, thanks for talking to me. I'll talk to you later. Appreciate you, Ryan. Try to stay out of the fights. Oh yeah. yeah bye. All right, Ben, what you got? Well, I personally think Ryan should fight someone. So should it be uh, you? <laughs> we fight enough as it is. Okay. <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's a really interesting offseason because we really don't know what will happen. Like, yes, it's pivotal and everything, but we don't know who the coach is going to be. We don't know if we're going to make a draft pick. If we do, we don't know, is it going to be a young shot maker like you, like Giddy? Is it going to be a, a wing a wing shooter like Kispert? We don't know if they're going to try to trade that pick for a veteran like CJ. I think it's just a very interesting offseason that we have coming up. Like, just ignoring the negatives, just we just don't know what's going to happen. I think that's very interesting. In the past, we've always had, like, some idea. With AD, it was always you have to get better veterans because it's win now all the time, but we just don't know what's going to happen. That's well, we know what's going to happen is they're going to make moves to be a better team. We just don't know how it's going to happen, right? Well, yeah, of course, of course. I mean, yeah, they're they're not going to sell again, but we don't know like what those. Moves so for the first time in Griffin's tenure, he doesn't have this major piece that everyone covets, and and he's trying to trade for for assets. For the first time, he's going to be in a position to be spending those assets and. And people just have no idea what that looks like, and I think it gives people anxiety because they don't they don't feel confident that he's able to, to acquire the pieces or be able to confidently spend those assets. Right, and the other, and the other thing about that is like it probably won't look like what he was doing in Cleveland because he was con- in Cleveland he was constantly getting like these stop gaps that are like mid thirties because like they could play right away in the finals, but like they were like just rentals. Like when he got. I think it was, like, the 2017 season when he, like, traded for, like, three 30-year-olds that all were amazing shooters, but, like, they were there for, like, one year, and I don't think that's what he's going to do here. <laughs> well, he also gonna... didn't have any assets in Cleveland, and he was yeah. deep into the luxury tax, which also makes it difficult yeah. to, to ha- make transactions, which is why, again, like, if there's reason to be optimistic, if he's able to pull all those kind of trades, you know, with, with such few resources... <laughs> Are you okay? Did your car crash? No, I'm just on the interstate. <laughs> oh, okay. Drive safely, bro. Um, that sounded weird. Um, but yeah, no, if he's able to make all those moves um, with with his, you know, essentially his back was against the wall in, in, in many fronts. Then you know, what is he able to do when he's so asset rich? And and, and that's the question. Yeah. And I think that's going to define his his career here in New Orleans, and if he has a job going forward or not. Yeah. Well, cool, man. That's all. Thanks for thanks for chiming in and, and drive safely. Uh, we'll get Patrick up in here. What's up, Patrick? Hey, yeah, thanks for doing this. Um, big day of news, obviously, so always good to go over things. But I guess when I was, like, just reading all this, it's tough for me to think back to how this team looked after the bubble and then place expectations on them for this season. I mean, like, if you think about – I guess the main thing is I think how good Zion was this year took the team a little bit by surprise, especially when you look at the deals that were being made, how future-facing they were, and you think about just how he looked in the bubble. I think that the urgency kind of took them by surprise. And, you know, so I think judging the past offseason from a sense of urgency, when the team just never showed that it should have that urgency. And when arguably your best player from the last season is requesting out, it seems like it's a hindsight way of looking at it to me. Oh, absolutely. And, and I think what, you know, I think what people would, would push back on is that, okay, like they weren't good in the bubble, then that should have been more reason to get good players and, and become better. Right. And so 
I get it, you know, I get it from both points of view. And, and as Ryan mentioned, I think they overcorrected with rea- with regards to what happened in the bubble. And they were like, oh, we got to get tough. We got to be competitive and got to bring this old school coach who's going to make them, you know, defensive oriented. And, and then they quickly realized, oh, shit, you know, we probably shouldn't have made all these decisions based on like an eight game sample. Um, so yeah. you're, you're right. And, and there wasn't a lot of good data period to be making decisions off of because Zion had played like 40 games and he was injured for, I think in 40, he played like 25 yeah, and he was exactly. injured. Like he was injured in the bubble as well. Um, and so, so yeah, it's, it's just like you have poor data to make decisions on. Then all of a sudden you, you have this very crystallizing piece of data this year, which is point Zion and he's incredible and unbelievable. And then all of a sudden, oh yeah, well you should have done all these things to accommodate for this. Duh. And, and, and so you're right. There's a little bit of, of hindsight involved there. Yeah. And so I guess a question I had for you, just um, kind of like on the topic of urgency, is are you worried that they might push too many chips in because of that urgency? Like when I always thought about like people saying, oh, who's the star that should be traded for? My answer was always just the first one that becomes available because they don't become available often. You just have to take that swing. But I feel like if nothing really does crystallize this summer, there's going to be a lot of pressure being put on the front office when the opportunity just might not have been there. Yeah, I don't know if there's going to be such thing as spending too many assets. In my eyes, what that looks like is them, you know, spending their first on like mediocre, like mediocre role player types, like like Stephen Adam types. That's that that would be horrific for me. But if it's like star level players or it's like quasi star level players, like just go get as many as you can. I doubt you're going to get more than one, right? So just just spend what you can for those type of players, and then and then you know if your team becomes so good. Um, to where you have such a, a seamless fit like Aaron Gordon was for the healthy Nuggets. Like when Jamal Murray went down, all of a sudden Aaron Gordon wasn't a good fit and he's way overtaxed and it's, it's Orlando 2.0. But when Jamal Murray was healthy, then all of a sudden he used that like glue that brought together their defense and was filling all the gaps and doing all those things. Then, you know, go, you go make those trades for those type of players that, that, that can do that. And I think the Pelicans, again, are have so many assets that they can take multiple stabs at this. Um, and, and so you're right. If, Take the first star that's available for sure, and and don't don't question it. Don't look a gift horse in the mouth. Absolutely awesome. agree with that. Yeah, thanks for that. Yeah, that's that's really all for me. Yeah, man. Thanks for thanks for hopping in. Let's get let's get Austin, and then I am going to wrap this up. It's it's been close to an hour, and um, we'll we'll catch you all next time after that. But let's get Austin for the last question. Hey, man. What's up? Can you hear me? Yeah, man. How are you doing? Pretty good, pretty good. So Patrick kind of stole a little bit of uh, my thunder, I guess, with the question. But uh, with everything going around with this franchise, you know, obviously winning's going to take away all these narratives, and I think that's how you really get out of it, and that's how we all agree on that. Uh, and what you said a few weeks ago about just making that godfather offer to, like, you know, the stars and uh, maybe the next tier down for, like, you know, those uh, just next-level players. Um, so with that in mind, who would you think – in your list of players that you would kind of seek after. I know it's kind of right now, first player that's available with that kind of deal. But in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, like obviously everybody wants a Steph and a Dane Willard, but you know, somebody like deer and Fox or, um, you know, those type of guys, I think that you put the, uh, offer up in the table for and just something they can't refuse, like either, uh, Fox or cat or somebody like that. Um, oh, absolutely. I mean, I think, I think you, you, you have to, go to those teams and put it all on the table, make them say no, right? And after they, they say no, you start moving on to other guys. But you're right, the Fox and, and Cat would make this team incredibly better. Um, Cat's probably the best shooting big man of all time. And, and you know, that, that includes a list with Dirk on it. And so if you get that level of shooter next to Zion in any position, that's going to be good. And he's just a, a damn good shooter. So you're right offered for him and then fox is again like he's unstoppable he's one of the most um athletic point guards in the in the game and he creates a lot of shots and what he allows you to do is he allows you to get those um somewhat one-dimensional players who can't create their own shots per se but they can knock them down at a pretty high level and so you know the the utah jazz um the Utah Jazz have like Bogdanovich and and Ingles who are really good at actually like being secondary creators. Um, but they're not someone you're seeing them struggle against the Clippers when, when Conley's been out because Mitchell and Clarkson hasn't been 
enough to to kind of get them the looks that they need. And so De'Aaron Fox allows you to get those kind of people that are that aren't you know like true three level guys, but you know they're like maybe like one point five to two point five level guys, and he creates looks for them. So I'm I'm all on board for De'Aaron Fox. OG Ananobi is another guy that I've I've said that is like a ridiculously good fit. Um, I, I wouldn't give up quite as much as I would for like Towns or, or Fox, but you know I, I would give up a really good amount for OG. Um, I think he would he would make the team dramatically better on on both ends. And then I don't know how to feel about Sabonis. I this playoff has taught me that like you need shot makers and shot making. He's probably he's gonna make this team a good regular season team, and they're gonna need to find shooting in some form or fashion. He's a really good contract, and that's what confuses me. So, like, I don't necessarily think he's, like, a missing piece per se, but what he's doing is he's outproducing his contract value at such a high level. He's making about $18 million a year, and he's producing at a, like, max contract level. He, I think he averaged, like, 21, 13, and 7 this year. Like, 7 assists as a center is pretty ridiculous. Um, and so him making only $18 million a year – really allows you to go get some of these other bigger salary dudes on your second swing. And so the re- only reason I'd be interested in some bonus is if you have something lined up to go get, you know, um, uh, a perimeter player who is, who makes more money and you have a, like more cap room to, to play with. I mean, this guy is going to make less than Eric Bledsoe next year. It's kind of crazy. But yeah, I mean, I think you're. I think you're right that they should they should be proactive about trying to peel these guys off of teams. Yeah, definitely appreciate it, man. Yep, absolutely. Well, folks, um, I'm gonna end it here. Thanks for for listening. Hopefully, I'll catch you all in the next one. Um, I hope that this thing recorded. I hope uh, we're able to publish this. And we're. I I love this format a lot. Honestly, it's good to hear you guys talk. It's good to interact with people. And I'm looking forward to doing this on a regular basis. And hopefully it's not, you know, with, with bad news. Hopefully the next time we're doing it, What's up, everybody? I'm Bladen. I'm Matt. And I'm Theo. And we are Stay Hot, the only podcast that gives you the hottest analysis and takes on the NFL and NBA all year round. I know that there's a lot of losers and haters out there who don't think three sports TikTokers can hang for a full pod, but, you know, we're going to prove them all wrong. We're about to dive deep into the NFL draft and are already hitting the NBA playoffs. So watch Stay Hot on YouTube or listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you get your podcasts.